one where our, our background really is in, in the digital space, but I, I think almost exclusively all of our clients have an, an offline um, presence and we're seeing that, that more and more start to bleed across. And it, you're, it sounds like you're much deeper in that space than, than we are. But I, again, I think there's a lot that we and our listeners... Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. And we're all set. Um, so, Jason, um, we have a, a special guest with us this week um, to talk about data analytics, startups, and, and remote work. You know all of the uh, the various topics we hit on uh, from week to week. So, with us today is is Ed Vincent. Ed is an entrepreneur with over twenty years of business, technology, and management experience, having founded and exited several companies in that time helping to launch film festivals in multiple locations and creating the concept for a Maxim branded hotel in the Caribbean. Most recently, he led a data platform and consultancy in the entertainment space with clients like a Networks, AMC Networks, Screen Vision, and MovieTickets.com, and was brought into MoviePass as the interim head of data. Um, so, Ed, you know, thanks for joining us this week. Hey, guys. How are you? Great to be here. Doing good. I dig your office setup, by the way. It's very, uh, it's very clean looking. It reminds well, me I need to, I need to clean up around my, my office. No, well, this is actually my, my home. So I didn't, uh, I, I didn't make it to the office today just yet. I got Tuesdays. Uh, I pick up my kids. So. Uh, well, your home office is very nice and clean. Yeah. <laughs> one of the, one of the joys of flexible work schedules is you can do that and that's that's amazing so I'm, I'm sure we'll get into into that and it sounds like jim we're going to touch on we usually have you know we talk analytics we talk remote work we talk it's like we're going to touch on every topic today yeah it was great when um when ed and i connected i felt like there were just so many things that we talk about some philosophies we and experience that we, that we share in common so i think it's, it's going to be a um a smorgasbord of, of topics this week yeah. So I guess, do we want to give Ed a chance to jump in? And we, I, you gave a great intro, but would love to hear from kind of you, what you're doing, your kind mm-hmm. of quick pitch, and love to have a, a conversation around some of these topics that we share in common. Uh, sure, sure. So um, I think, and I'm sure it's the same with you guys, is context of where people end up or what they begin to do is, is relative to their experiences. Um, so, you know, a lot of the context of um, where I am today with launching Festival Pass, and we can go into the other things as well, um, is really a culmination of you know 20 years of doing various things, um, some that drive passion, others that drive the data experience, and, and others that drive the, the tech and, uh, and live experiences. Um, so you know if I, if I go back to the 2000s uh, from an experiential perspective, um, I, I had built an e-commerce company and sold that in 2001, and then spent most of the 2000s uh, with an experiential agency, 
Um, and in that time frame, I really got to love live events and got to um, love engaging brands at these live events and seeing the communities that were built around it. Um, going through that process, and we can get into in any more detail, I'm just trying to, to give you that high level overview, um, uh, really got me passionate. And it was one of the most enjoyable times I had with work uh, over over a you know, half to full decade in the 2000s. And then um, went on to create a software as a service platform. And then for the last five years, been working uh, with a consultancy as, as a partner in a consultancy and a um, uh, software platform for the entertainment space. Um, and, and a lot of that experience, really understanding consumer data at a large level uh, in the entertainment environment, um, created you know a lot of understanding about what marketplaces, what market places exist and how to use data to really drive them. And then my experience at MoviePass, understanding what does and does not work in a subscription-based business uh, was was very enlightening, kind of evolving to this place where I said, hey, there's a really, really big in, uh, market in the live event space. And I can get into as much of that as you want to get into. Uh, the why, the fundamentals of a marketplace, um, why data will drive this marketplace. Um, and all the other, but but just having that kind of evolution of context is always brings you know myself and I think others to a place where you know all alignment is happening, all the things of my past have come together, and I'm super excited to drive this forward. That's awesome, and and I think a lot of our listeners probably can take some some interest in in hearing more about the the live events. Um, features and what you've been able to learn and how data has helped inform that. Uh, because I think a large portion of our listener base has grown up in digital. And so a lot of our listeners, their experience with data is around mobile apps, around websites. And I'm a firm believer that we can learn a lot from other disciplines and other places where where data is used and where customer experiences happen. So I would love to dive down into that a little more, bit more, if nothing else, to to really push our, our listeners to think in a different realm than they're they're doing in their typical day-to-day. Sure, sure. So so it, it's actually an intertwined concept between what you're referring to is Festival Pass mm-hmm. is a technology platform, a marketplace um, driven by mobile apps and, and web and data. Um, but what is interesting um, from the, um, you know, bringing offline and online together from a live experience perspective is, um, you know, we're leveraging the digital ecosystem to really drive community, but that community is actually happening. It's happening offline and online, um, but they're gathering in an offline environment. Um, so during that time in the 2000s, um, you know, we would activate, you know, dozens upon dozens of big brands at major festivals and concerts and events. And, um, it was really about reaching that one-to-one experiential um, kind of touch point for the advertiser um, during that time. And that still goes on today on, on a high level. And it's a, it's getting even greater and greater for brands to be able to experience um, things with people, uh, especially uh, as we see the whole kind of millennial generation um, is spending more and more of, their, more of their disposable income on experiences over goods. Um, and that makes it harder for some brands that want to reach them to actually have uh, a true affinity uh, and connection with a brand and, and a consumer. Um, so by kind of going, you know, in, in this concept, going to a place where, um, you know, and, and our, our festival pass isn't only millennials, but it's a, it's a large kind of push for what millennials uh, think and how they think and how they spend their time. 
Um, but they're used to uh, opening an app and having that app um, be a form of community and discovery. And they're used to social engagement and they're used to um, having things uh, be more specifically rank recommended to them because of some of the data that they've allowed that app or that brand to um, to gather in order to make their experience better. Um, so it really is a combination of everything coming together where online, offline can use data to fuel engagement. Yeah, it's such an interesting space. And we work a lot in the travel and tourism space, and we're seeing kind of the same thing. Traditionally, spaces that were dealing with audiences that they could maybe more mass market to, they're, they're finding that the, the new base of consumers want a much more personalized, authentic experience. And I think everything that they were told maybe in the early 2000s is that doesn't scale is maybe the data is the kind of the differentiator that they needed to find to help some of those things scale. I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of what your vision is with some of these platforms and some of the things you're doing is that through the use of data, you can, ex you can scale these experiences, even with the massive brands that Jim mentioned in the intro that you're, you're working with. Yeah, absolutely. And if you can think about it, you know, we've done a lot of work in things that people are more, um, uh, more used to engaging in things like, you know, the way Netflix uses data to drive a recommendation engine. So when you're in a, an environment like that, where you have thousands upon tens of thousands of opportunities to, um, to place content in front of a consumer, um, using data and, you know, machine learning and AI to present the right content at the right time to the right consumer, because there's no way consumers are going to be able to scroll through the tens of thousands of opportunities that Netflix has available to them. So take the same concept, and we've done work, uh, that kind of work for some of the big television networks and, and, and movie, uh, movie networks as well. But when you look at it from a live event standpoint, you know, no consumer is going to go through tens of thousands of live events that will be on our platform. It's really about how do we ensure the discovery mechanism for that individual user uh, is relevant. Um, so when they are logging on, they're seeing events in their hometown or places they may have traveled or places they have indicated they like to go or things that some of their friends have already gone to have seen. Um, do they have music interests, film interests? All of that is coming together to really have this discovery engine so that it feels like um, Festival Pass is providing the best, most recommended experiences. And of course, just like any good algorithm, you still need the search opportunity to explore. So, you know, we're, we're recommending places and things they might like, but at any point in time, they can go ahead and jump in there and type in, I want to look at, you know, folk bluegrass music and they'll find something. And does that then carry over? So you mentioned kind of combining the online and offline experience. Do you also use data to help curate that experience when they get to their destination? What's kind of the, the path that that looks like for a typical customer that you work with? Yeah, so so now I, I'm a little confused and do I uh, answer questions related to uh, past uh, clients and, and work or specifically what I'm driving for Festival Pass, but but either way, um, there is a, there is an answer to how to curate some of those offline experiences. On the, on the uh, client um, consultancy side, you know, we've done a lot of work with um, companies like Screen Vision where we're helping them um, forecast who's gonna be sitting in the audience at the movie theater so that the right ad can run on the screen prior to. That's, that's a little bit 
um, you know, people on the digital side just expect that to be. Um, but when you have a physical person sitting in an audience, there's an air gap between, um, you know, who's actually in that audience and who is predicted to be there. Um, so it's, it's a little different on how people acquire the ticket on the way into the movies. So not every single individual uh, has a one-to-one -one relationship like you would on an app where you're immediately logging in and you know exactly who you are. Um, or like on Netflix, where I know every single user that's sitting in front of my piece of content. Got it. Yeah. No, it's it's a it's a fascinating space. And again, I think it's one where our our background really is in in the digital space. But I I think almost exclusively all of our clients have an, an offline um, presence, and we're seeing that that more and more start to bleed across. And it, you're, it sounds like you're much deeper in that space than than we are. But I, again, I think there's a lot that we and our listeners can learn from just forcing ourselves out of our comfort zone and know that there's this entire experience out there. And you you hit on the thing with with the millennials that it, it really is changing the way that the companies that we work with are, are looking at data uh, to how they can provide much more curated experiences, both both online and offline. So um, really, really interesting stuff. So, and I know I'm kind of all over the place and, and I think part of it is like, you've got your fingers in so many different things. I'm trying to pull apart where to kind of ask targeted questions. So I, help, I appreciate you help kind of guide the, uh, the conversation along there a little bit. No, no worries. And, and just to, to add one little avenue to the live experience side of data as well is, um, you know, one of the things we're trying to help some of the venue owners solve um, is knowing who's actually in their audience. Um, you know, aside from some of the big guys out there that which are the ones you heard of, Ticketmaster and, um, you know, the live nations of the world and some of the big venues, um, the, the large um, population of event owners, um, they only know one in 10 people in their audience. And uh, a, lot, a lot of times there's, there's many reasons for that is, um, you know, it depends on how somebody was ticketed to come into the environment. Um, it depends if it was purely an online ticket purchase, if it was through some other um, avenue that they acquired that ticket. Um, also, what's interesting is in the whole primary, secondary ticketing markets, by the time you know something's bought by one individual and then resold in the secondary market, you're, you're losing the ability to track who's actually uh, who bought that ticket. So by the time they actually enter the venue, you don't know who's sitting in that seat. Blows my mind trying to tie all this stuff together. From a technology standpoint, I guess either with the technology that you've developed or with the clients that you're working with, um, I'm interested in in how you're you're pulling the data out. Are you using off-the-shelf analytics packages? Are you developing your own technology to, to capture and, and report on data? What does that setup kind of look like if you can talk at that at a high level? Sure, and, and I guess that all depends on which... Maybe both. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what the plan is for Festival Pass, and then, then you can we can go backwards from there. But, um, you know, one of the things I did learn while my time at MoviePass is how important it is to, when you have a product like this, and it's a really a mobile first driven product, um, to ensure that um, the mobile app must be used to affect the transaction. Um, so in the, in the MoviePass side, you know, every time anybody went to a film, regardless of how they signed up for that pass, they physically needed their app and their phone with them at the theater in order to actually get into the, the movie. Um, and the, the reason why that was important is because when you actually have a mobile app download, 
um, you know exactly who the consumer is because they needed to have an email to actually sign up to get that app. Um, so you have an account, and then once you have an account, you have a device ID. So you're able to actually create some kind of identifier for, the, for that individual person. So therefore, no matter what transaction happens, whether it's a ticket to a movie, a ticket to an event, or whatever other transaction happens within the app, you can tie it to an individual, and therefore you can then enlighten the the uh, the end user, whatever that if that end user is the event owner or the movie theater, or you pick you know whoever it is, you can enlighten who's actually making those transactions. So for us on Festival Pass, um, you know all of our event owners will have a portal, if you will, or a, a an event login. Uh, a partner login, and when they go in there, they'll be able to see that, hey, you know, out of our thousand people that were at this event, let's say a couple hundred of them came from Festival Pass. Uh, the ones that did come from Festival Pass um, had, you know, 40% were female, 60% were male. This is their household income. This is all the other relevant nature uh, things about them so that that event owner can can have some aggregate data and understanding of who's actually in their audience. And as long as it's statistically relevant, they can then project that against um, you know, who's, who's there in its entirety. And then a lot of their advertisers and sponsors and everybody else can feel more comfortable that they're engaging that audience because they know who's actually there. And is that something that you provide the event planners as well from an insights perspective, or do you simply help them capture the data and they have their own internal teams that, that analyze and interpret those results? No, no, no. We'll provide dashboards for them. Uh, that's part, part of the overall value of really being a partner of ours is Got it. Um, because we, are, we already come in with all of that experience, all that data experience. We we know how to take a you know a piece of data and enrich it with third-party data that brings in all of those uh, beautiful enriched profiles so people can understand who they are. Yeah. Um, so are you using some kind of beacon technology or something to be able to tie the online to offline when the guest finally arrives at their location? Um, so in terms of Festival Pass, because we already have the app and the app is required for entry. We don't need that because you actually know who's there. Um, so you're talking about the kind of people that didn't use Festival Pass, um, the other people at the event. There, there's, I think there's a few companies out there that are trying to kind of get over that challenge where they'll put some devices in a, in a concert venue area um, and try to ping people as they come through. Um, that's probably not something we're going to get involved in. Um, Got it. It's really a, di a different, totally different product, um, yeah. and, that, and that becomes probabilistic anyway. Um, you know, we we like the idea that the more and more percentage of people at the event that came through Festival Pass, you have deterministic data on who they actually are. You know, a lot, a lot of that, a lot of that again was learned from back in the day of Movie Pass. Is uh, you know, Movie Pass for, for for all of its you know interesting twists and turns. Um, was was very much one of the best data sets that existed throughout the country in terms of um, a holistic, statistically relevant data set. I mean, over 3 million subscribers going to, um, you know, statistically, geographically dispersed theaters throughout the entire country where we knew exactly who they were and we knew what, what films they were actually seeing. So uh, we had a lot of interest from studios and uh, lots of other people that really wanted that data. Um, 
so you know for us at festival pass not to say we're doing anything similar to 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 movie pass but i learned that you know as the company grows and as subscribers grow the larger percentage uh, of people that are using your product that are attending something provides a much more deterministic view on who's there. So can you talk a little bit about Festival Pass from a data standpoint? Um, is it, we're going to go back and look at what we learned from a specific festival and tailor that to maybe future messaging or the next festival? Is there some real-time components to what the organizers are learning that they're they're acting on? Um, maybe talk a little bit about how that data and insight is being used to to create some action. Sure. So I, th- I think the the bigger win and the bigger lift is on the consumer side as opposed to the partner side. Um, so um, the data that we're utilizing from the consumer side in order to make better recommendations, in order to connect them with their uh, friends and their colleagues, and how we um, help them engage and build community both on and offline, I think is the the, the most valuable to, to the whole ecosystem. Um, you know, a lot of the ticketing services that exist today are really transactional. They don't really provide a community-based social engagement opportunity. Um, and hopefully, you know, we're, we're trying to bring a little more of that into the space rather than it being a pure transaction that then can only happen with community at the at the space itself. We're, we're looking to help bring everybody together. On the flip side for the partners, um, you know, it's just more insight into who's physically at their event. Um, we'll go through the process over time, uh, helping them understand that data a little better and helping them take some actions related to it. Um, you know, they, all, all the events have their own marketing process uh, as well and their own marketing teams, at least, you know, the bigger ones, the smaller ones may not. Um, and th- they're all finding ways in which they want to spend their ad dollars to drive um, attendees to any of the events they have. So the more and more data we can provide them, it can help them take some of those actions, whether it's how to better target paid media, how to target better segments within social, um, you know, which advertisers and partners they should bring on to be sponsors. A lot of that is, um, you know, just more insight for them to make decisions. Got it. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested if we can pivot this slightly to talk a little bit about data privacy. Um, because I think it's at an interesting intersection where you have just in the festival space, it obviously begs for a much younger audience um, that is that are attending festivals. I, I imagine um, feeling like I'm probably way too old to attend a festival. Not necessarily. A, <laughs> there are there are a ton of festivals that have um, you know 40 to 60 year old kind of um, environments. I don't know how old you are, but I'm I'm talking about. Uh, What's so amazing, and, and the deeper I pe- peeled the onion on this live event industry, is there's just so many affinity groups. There's the bigger groups, like when we bucket them as millennials, that might drive some of the kind of uh, electronic dance music festivals or the, the hip-hop festivals or some other pop festivals. But there's so many affinity groups, um, whether it's uh, you know old-school Southern rock or um, you know folk festivals or... You know, it, it just is. And there's so many divisions within one big festival. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys know about uh, there's a huge festival every summer in Milwaukee called Summerfest. Um, the largest it's the largest music festival in the world. And it brings close to a million people there for a couple of weeks every summer. And you can only imagine the different ty- types of 
genres and affinities that exist just within that one festival. Well, maybe I need to sign up now and see if the AI can match me with a good festival for for my uh, eclectic taste. Um, so back to back to my question then, um, as as the consumers are begging for um, a more personalized experience, and as you mentioned, um, it's almost physically impossible to wade through all of the content. So having information and having AI to help surface things that are of interest to me. Um, are you finding that the consumers are okay with providing data to get that in return? Are they aware of the type of data that they're sharing to, to get that, that back? Can you talk a little bit about kind of the privacy and the balance between providing value back with taking some of their personal data in? Sure. Sure. So, you know, just like any proper company, um, you know, people will have the opportunity to opt out of sharing data if they so not desire. Um, but I think we, we try to make it as compelling as possible for them to understand that by allowing us to um, capture their data and by capturing it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not intrusive capturing. It's only used within the app. It's not sold. Um, and it's really just used to better the UI experience for them. Um, and I think that's that the, the same goes for, for companies that take the approach to um, both offer the ability to opt out, but at the same time, um, use the data for the good of the whole. And that's to just make a better experience. Yeah. Um, Jim, before I go on a completely different pivot into remote work, I, 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 I hate to always dominate the time and not let you ask some of the questions that you have. So I'm going to pause and take a quick drink and see if you have any questions before we, I'd love to talk a little bit about working remotely. No, I was actually, you know, getting ready to to, to move us into that. I mean, it, it's been fascinating to listen so far on, on you know, about the live event industry. Um, as I was, as Ed, as you were talking, I was thinking back, you know, this is one space where we haven't had anybody on yet. So it's been just a fascinating listen. So I think you, any questions I would have had, you know, have been answered, but, uh, but <laughs> love it so far. There's one, a couple of things just to think about before we kind of fully wrap that up um, is uh, one of the things that is fascinating about the live events industry, it's bigger than most people know. It's a $200 billion global industry. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, the North American movie ticket market for exhibitions, only $12 billion. So if you can think of it being 20x the size of North American film market, um, it, it's just, it's mind boggling how big it mm -hmm. is. Second is, is um, you know, when we looked at it and looked at why a marketplace, why a subscription marketplace, um, you know, I, I always have this uh, kind of theory that there's four fundamental uh, things that have to match for a marketplace to exist. Um, and I won't go through all of them because that will probably take up uh, all of our all time explaining them. But, uh, but you can look at all the successful marketplaces that are out there, whether it's a, an Uber or Lyft, an Airbnb, a Postmates, and each one kind of goes through the process of, what fundamentals actually make them work. And then there's the failed ones out there, like, uh, you know, things like a cleaning service in a marketplace, when people realize that, you know, one of the fundamentals is, is people need to require the marketplace to transact in an efficient manner. Whereas, you know, for example, the cleaning marketplace, somebody would hi hire a cleaning service, they'd come in every other Wednesday, and before you know it, they're just texting them and sending them a Venmo. There's really no need for the marketplace thereafter. Um, whereas, you know, something like Airbnb, 
it's constantly discovering new inventory that makes it exciting. And it's constantly um, providing the safeguards and the ability to transact and feel comfortable. So I do have one more question before we pivot to, to remote work. So I would ask, um, what advice would you have for our listeners that may be employed by a massive global company doing digital analytics, but they're either by design or their comfort level is to report on top level trends. We're looking at conversion metrics, which are all important, but we're, we're not looking at how this data helps us better understand the consumer experience. What, what advice would you have for someone on the importance of looking at what the data means from an experiential perspective? Um, good question. Um, you know, I, I think it, I don't know what advice per se to give, but but the idea that uh, taking a look at the the consumer trends that exist, or or even the um, experience past that consumers go down, um, and and ensure that that's applied to constantly make the consumer experience better is is a little more important than just capturing a snapshot of uh, kind of the the big the big buckets because at the end of the day. Um, I, I don't know if you've heard about uh, kind of product by design as a concept um, and the, all the big philosophy in it really drives to the fact that everything you do from a product perspective, everything you do from a business perspective needs to feed what the customer is looking for. And all of that product design uh, is informed by data. And by only looking at kind of, you know, the Google analytics of what somebody did in order to, you know, affect the next media buy um, is, is not as important as looking at the analytics to be able to continue to um, evolve a product in order to feed the customer needs and wants. Because, you know, I always go back to this old big philosophy, which is product is design. I mean, so product is marketing and marketing is product. Um, they're, they're intertwined together. Um, and in order to make any business successful, the product itself will sell itself once you're continuously, you know, evolving it towards the consumer's goals. I love that. No, that's awesome. Um, all right. So let's, let's pivot. I want to take a few minutes and, and talk a little bit about remote work. Um, so Jim, I think you queued it up. Um, so Festival Pass, the team is primarily remote. It is. It is. We're, we're all remote, remote at okay. this point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, and you guys are in this space, so I think you get it uh, very well. And what's been exciting for me with, with this company is uh, it's exciting to see how effective it can be if it starts off that way. And if every communication is, you know, through a virtual environment. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's still a lot of Zoom calls like, you know, like a video call like we're doing right now. Um, but it doesn't always require that physical in-office presence, and a lot actually gets done. So we, we have uh, you know UI UX people in Bali, and um, you know developer in Detroit and LA, uh, data people in Lisbon, um, business development folks down in Florida. So it's 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 just this kind of overall picture of um, you know being able to work. Uh, you know, using Slack as a as a as a core tool to really keep all the communication going. But uh, for for me, it's been great. Was it a conscious decision in the beginning when you spun up um, the company that you wanted it to be remote? 
I think for me, what the conscience decision is, is, um, is at this point in my life, um, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for, for a, a long time. And there's always this philosophy in our entrepreneur network um, that, um, you know, the business should be there to serve your personal life, if that makes sense. Um, and for me, this is the one time I think I had an opportunity to be conscious uh, about the process prior to doing it so that, you know, for the next 10 years, I, I want to be driving this company forward. And in that time, I want to be able to travel the world and I want to be able to open up um, global operations and I want to continue to not physically be tied personally to an office. And in order for me to have that um, lifestyle that I want, um, I want to be able, I wanted to learn how to structure a business so that it can still succeed with, you know, hopefully hundreds of employees with the right processes in place to be able to allow me that, that enjoyment. I'm, I'm having a hard time hiding my smile. I love how you describe that. And the only reason I say that is that um, as we've been building out 33 Sticks and talking about our story, there have been a few people that, and I don't know what the motivation is, but um, they like to slap the label on it as, oh, you're just building a lifestyle business. Um, and they're, they're using it as a kind of an underhanded slap to the face that you're not really interested in building a real business where you dedicate all your life and you lock yourself in an office to do that. I'm like, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a fair, um, evaluation because what we're doing is, is difficult. We're, we're actually building a real business. Um, but we, we understand that there's other adventures that we want to go on and other things that we want to have available to us. And the business is enabling us to, to do that. And, and to me, I don't see, um, I don't see it as, as something to be, um, what's the word ashamed of, right? It, so I, I, I love, I love how you describe that and that there are more and more people talking about the importance of building businesses that support your life. Yeah. And, and you have to remember, at least the people that are your naysayers should remember, is the same goes for all the employees. It's, it's not just it's not just you, but, you know, I get tremendous work out of, you know, individuals that um, are excited to be working at a cafe overlooking the beach in Bali um, and cranking out really creative, amazing work, um, much better than if they were in an office building in New York City. Yeah. So as long as they're if they're living their best life and they're you know honest and dedicated and keeping everything on track, there's absolutely no reason they shouldn't be in their happy place. Yeah, no, and and I'm sure like like me, I I'm sure you may like me get a lot of enjoyment um, and fulfillment out of that because seeing our employees have that opportunity is is just amazing. Jim and I were just talking before we jumped on. Um, he loves to go down to the Jersey Shore and work from the shore, and I see pictures, and it just it makes me feel amazing. We had another employee that relocated from Silicon Valley where he'd worked pretty much his whole career and got burned out, and he ended up landing in Thailand and just transformed his life and seeing how much happier he was for me, like I just get so much enjoyment out of seeing employees have that opportunity that they never either, either had or never even felt like they had that opportunity to have before. Agreed. Agreed. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I, all I can say <laughs> is we're on the same page is, um, you know, there, there'll always be times for face to face and there'll always be times for building relationships in that way. But it's, you know, going to a physical office with the entire staff on a daily basis, in my mind, is not required for, for successful work. 
Yeah. So other than making sure you pay a fair, fair salary to your employees, I'm interested in how you talk about the value of that lifestyle choice, because it's something that I've struggled with, especially um, in the early years, talking with potential employees about we, we have this way of working that you've never experienced before. And I have a hard time describing it, but there's huge value to it. And they're like, yeah, I don't care about the value of that. I want everything I get with a big company and then whatever extra bonuses that you have. But, but to me, I think it's important as a potential employer to talk about the actual value that you give your employees to have this autonomy and freedom to design their, their days. And again, it's not an excuse not to give them all the other compensation they deserve, but I, I have maybe an unrealistic expectation that potential employees put a value on those things. And, and maybe it's how I'm describing it, that they're failing to see it. Sure. No, I, I know where you're coming from. I mean, one of the things I think is um, those who, um, who end up in the funnel to participate in the work you want them to participate in are almost self-selecting into that lifestyle anyway. So, so it's almost, you know, it probably is hard to convince somebody who's used to going to an office and is fine with going to an office, how valuable it is not to have to. Um, but in the process of hiring, at least my experience in the, so what we've been doing so far with Festival Pass is everybody that they're already pre-valued that freedom. And, and part of that's part of how we kind of all came together. Great point. Um, what are some lessons that you've learned along the way going into building out a remote company that, you just had to go through some things that maybe didn't work out well, whether it's from a communication standpoint or otherwise that you've learned and you've now put into practice and it's made the work more efficient. Sure. I, I would say something that wasn't even something that I came up with, but it was one of uh, the other folks. Um, they just, I'll speak to the designers in Bali. Um, Danielle is her name and she's, you know, she's originally uh, Canadian and, and then uh, became a digital nomad and the, the the process that she's been so used to working in this environment for a long time. Um, she started creating uh, Loom videos. Are you familiar with Loom videos? Uh, effectively, I've, it's just a I'm, video. I've heard, I've heard it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it almost doesn't matter. They, you know, it could be a, a squadcast video. It could be a, a Zoom video. It could be whatever. But what I loved is every time a bunch of work was done, uh, because obviously there's a time zone difference, um, uh, and you know, it's, it's different when you wake up and jump on Slack and see some product, uh, and don't have anybody to explain the product, but what she started doing, which made all the difference and it made everything so efficient was she'd give me a five, 10 minute video explaining the entire work, um, as if she was walking me through it. And it immediately brought everything back, uh, to the contextual sense. And I knew exactly where, where the mind was coming from. I knew exactly what they were thinking. And it just, it was as if they were there live with me. I'm wondering if we just added a new thing to our list to experiment with, cause we've never, we've never experimented with video on, on that level. And we've definitely have some, and have had some time zone challenges. Um, and I think that, I want to say there's a startup based in Utah that's doing something similar. The name escapes me of the company. Um, but yeah, uh, Jim. I was going to say it doesn't matter what the technology is. It was just yeah. the fact that here's the deliverable and here's a ten minute video explaining the deliverable, and I immediately got what was going on. Yeah, no, that's awesome, Jim. I'm not going to dominate the last part of the conversation, so ask your questions. Yeah, I mean the the one thing I'm thinking of, and it's more of like along the the you know the the fun side of things. 
you know, with your remote team, like what is like the um, most interesting place you have someone located? You've mentioned Bali, you've mentioned Florida, a few other places. Like, what do you see as like the, the most interesting place where someone's located? Yeah, I mean, I think Bali to me is, is uh, unique. I've never been. I, I do have plans to go there this, this coming August, but it's still far away. Um, but uh, and I expect to have lots more. Um, so the answer is, is I don't know yet because we're still very early stage. Um, we do have a lot of growth behind us, um, but we're open to you know finding the most unique people in the most unique places that really believe in our vision and our passion. Um, so you know I'm lucky enough in my my entrepreneur network group. I, I spent three years at MIT with a with my uh, entrepreneur group, and out of the 70 people in my class, you know they were from 50 different countries. So as we go and, and bring Festival Pass globally and we open up in new countries, um, you know, there, there's just so many unique places where we, I already have friends, whether it's Nepal or Singapore or, you know, Philippines. Um, and each one has a, kind of a group of, of people that have a specialty in doing really great things. So we'll look to source people from everywhere. Do you um, do you have opportunities to get together maybe in smaller groups or as a larger company in, in person? And is that important to kind of figure out on some kind of a timeline to, to spend in-person time together as a team? Yes. Yeah, and we will. Um, you know, again, th this this company itself is, is still pretty, pretty early stage. So as it evolves, um, I absolutely will create those opportunities. Um, you know, whether it is, you know, in, in one place where one of the host or where a group or there's a collection of people. So for example, um, you know, a few months back, um, we all got together in Detroit. Um, and when I say we all, there was only four of us at the time. Um, but you know, the, the person from Bali was flying in and spending time with their parents in Canada and Canada is close enough to Detroit. Why not hop down to Detroit? New York was easy for me to hop over. So, you know, it was really important to have that experience and go out to dinner and to really, kind of build that bond prior to getting back to work. As, as you've been spinning up the, the team, you know, have there been any challenges that, that you've run into that not necessarily made you reconsider the remote, uh, the remote option, but maybe changed um, some of the philosophy or how, how you manage the team? Like, has there been something that come up and you're like, okay, we need to account for that. No, I, I hear you. Um, mm -hmm. And I think there's always small little challenges. Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, sometimes it's just getting on a phone call to walk through things helps. And we're in a place now where you can get a voice call with anybody, anywhere, anytime, no cost. This has been awesome. I, I Jim, I don't know if you have other questions, but I just wanted to throw it out there before we wrap it up that this is... Um, I didn't necessarily see the conversation going down these paths, but it's it's awesome to have someone that I feel a little bit of a kindred spirit connection with, not only with the data side, but the entrepreneurial side um, and the remote side. So we kind of checked off all the boxes, which is it's kind of rare for one of our our podcast guests. So this has been an, an awesome conversation. I appreciate that. And uh, and speaking of, you know, I hear you, you guys are close, right? You're in Philly. I'm, I'm in Philadelphia. Yes. Jason's in Utah. I'm in Salt Lake. Okay, so, 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 you know, when when I when I go out to go skiing, I'm gonna have to stop by. That's right. That's right. Hit me up. That's great.
And if there's ever a if there's ever a rockabilly festival out uh, in the West, um, have your AI hook me up. That's one festival I would attend. That that sounds great, and uh, <laughs> I suspect we'll we'll have things in and around Sundance as well. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and we just wrapped up Sundance this year, so. Yeah, yeah. No, Sundance had in the past had been a client of mine. Um, yeah. We did a lot, we did a lot of data work for Sundance uh, at one point in time. So uh, I, I've been out a few times. Yeah, if you're out this way, definitely uh, look me up. It'd be great to get together. Sounds great, guys. Cool. cool. Well, Ed, thanks for uh, for joining us. This has been a, a great conversation. Like I mentioned earlier, it, it definitely brings a new topic, uh, one we haven't had a chance to, to really dig into before. So really appreciate the time today. Well, it sounds great. Uh, I'll come back, uh, you know, next year once once we've scaled it and uh, tell you how all this all these ideas are working out. I'm going to bookmark that. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely have you back. All right, guys. Cool. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Catch you later. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.